All right, how are we? A few people awake. Hey, today's a great day. We are beginning a new sermon series this week. Uh, We're going to run through the month of November, and we're going to look at the the, the life of a guy named Elijah. Elijah, looking at a man of God. Now, when we talk about a man of God, Elijah is probably one of those remarkable people that ever lived. And there is so much that we can learn from Elijah about being a man, or in your case, a woman of God. Very excited. There's lots that we're going to learn from the life of Elijah. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you, uh, if you need a Bible, if you just want to slip your hand up, we've got an usher in the back. But he would love to give you a Bible if you need one. Just put your hand up. The context, as you're turning there, the context of uh, Elijah's life. We need to understand kind of where we are. When, when Elijah lived, he was a prophet of the nation of Israel. And at this point, Israel was divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. This northern kingdom, where Elijah lived, had experienced, check this, 19 consecutive evil kings. Okay, you gotta, you got to understand that. 19 consecutive evil kings. This isn't just 19 ineffective leaders, but this is 19 consecutive evil kings spanning the space of 200 years. Now, you've got to picture this in the United States. I mean, I don't know which side of the aisle you sit on, uh, but either you have, you know, 19 George W. Bushes or 19 Barack Obamas. I mean, I don't know whichever lied. Can you imagine 19 consecutive leaders? This was Elijah's time. In fact, there was an evil king by the name of Ahab. And Ahab was married to a woman named Jezebel, who some believe may have been the most evil woman that ever lived. And under their reign, the Bible says that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of God than all of those kings that were before him. So you've got these 19 evil kings, and Ahab, who's the king at this point, is more evil than all of the rest of them. He he would turn people's hearts away from the one true God and cause them to worship the false gods of Baal, the false god of Asherah. In fact, he would lead people to actually sacrificing their children to these gods. And, and they would uh, create temples. And inside these temples, they would have people engage in sexual activities with prostitutes. And they would call that worship. And what they did becomes worse and worse. So worse that something we don't even want to talk about with how bad and some of the things that they did. And so this was this king Ahab was worse than all the other evil kings before him. This was a very dark time. This was a very dark time of corruption and scandals and tremendous idol worship. And finally, God said, enough is enough. Finally, God said enough. And what God did, which is something he often does, God does not raise up an army to stand up against King Ahab. What God did is God raised up one man take a stand against this evil king. He raised one person. And I would say that today, God does the very same thing. Oftentimes, God raises one teenager up to take a stand for for purity, to take a stand for godliness, and they become a witness to their entire class. 
I would say that God oftentimes will raise up one business leader to take a stand for integrity in a business that lacks integrity. I would say that God oftentimes raises up one person to take a stand. And God uses that one person to impact the world. So what is God asking you to take a stand on today? What is God asking you to take a stand on today? God doesn't need an army. He needs you. And he needs me to stand up for who he is. So this morning, we are going to try and have an under a foundation of Elijah. And I've, I have titled this message, The Making of a Man or a Woman of God. So we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today that we can open up your word. And God, as we begin this series on Elijah, God, I pray that you would grow us deeper. God, I pray that you would grow us into men and women of God, that you would change us supernaturally to be, to reflect who you are. God, I pray today that you would give us understanding as we look at 1 Kings 17. I pray, Lord, that you would, would draw us to yourself today. You're the great God, and we thank you for this opportunity to be here today. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, 1 Kings 17, let's start reading this together. Verse 1 says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall neither be uh, dew nor rain these years except by my word. Let's stop right there. Now, remember, we've said this several times here at Restoration Church, that oftentimes when you read a name in the Bible, there's a meaning behind it. It's not like, a, or it's not like Elijah's parents open up the baby name book and just choose a name that they found to have, they, they like that name. And so, and so Elijah's name comes from three root words. The first root word was El, the second one I, and the third Je. El stands for Elohim, or God. I was the personal pronoun for my or mine. And Jah comes from Jehovah. And so when you put that together very literally, Elijah's name means the Lord is Jehovah. Or my God is Jehovah. Or the Lord is my God. And so immediately we see that God raises up a prophet who's going to stand up against this evil king. And by his very name... He's making a, a stance. He's making a testimony of who God is. By his very name, he's standing up against the false gods that, that Ahab has been leading people into following. He's carrying the idea that the Lord God is the one true God. And so even Elijah's name stands in front and confronts King Ahab. We saw that Elijah uh, described Elijah from Tishbite. See, this is a way that you would have been known back in those days. You would have been Elijah from Tishbite. And, and, and for me, it would have been, oh, the, that's Kevin Diet from Yakima. Kevin Diet from Eisenhower High School. Uh, that's how you would have been identified. So you may be identified as, as, as I don't know, uh, Erica from Timbuktu or wherever you're from. And so when it says Elijah the Tishbite, it's because he's from uh, that place. Look at verse 2. It says, He said to King Ahab, as the, Lord God, the, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve. And you can see right now, he's attacking Ahab's false, false gods. 
he says, The Lord who lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Do you notice the severity of that statement? See, this is one of the most strategic and prophetic judgments against the land that you could ever imagine. Because he said for the next months and years, there's going to be no rain. There's going to be no dew. Now, we live in an agricultural society, an agricultural region. So we understand the type of impact not having rain, not having the winter snow. That would have huge implications on our region. Anybody that works in the fruit industry here knows that would be a big deal. That would be a big deal. And, and Israel was an agricultural-driven economy. And so if there was no rain, if there was no dew, everything would begin to be shut down. The banks would stop lending money. And not only that, you wouldn't even be able to get your own money out of the banks. You wouldn't be able to go get gas at the gas stations. People would start starving. Unemployment would begin to drop to 50, 60, 70, 80 percent. People would start dying all over the place. Do you see the tremendous faith that Elijah has to have to stand before the king and to say, this is what's going to happen? No rain, no dew. This is going to cause havoc within this region. That takes some courage to stand up against this evil king. Now, I'm a wrestler. I, I like watching the UFC. Anybody a UFC fan in here? A few guys. When I, when I see Elijah standing up in front of this evil king, I, I get this picture of UFC 165. In this corner, we have the prophet who stands up and challenges the evil king. And in this corner, we have the evil king, and we know he's a bad guy. So we know there's going to be a fight coming down, right? We can just picture the wrath of this evil king and what this evil king is going to do. But God intervenes. God intervenes and does something different. He takes Elijah into a season of hiding. See, God has used Elijah in a tremendous way to pronounce a judgment on this king and upon this northern kingdom. And, and now immediately God takes Elijah away. So he can do so much more through him. See, we're going to see, we're going to see God shape this man in a, in, a, in a very deep season of preparation. As if God's saying, there's so much more I need to do to you before I can do even more through you. God says, Elijah, I know you've done this good thing. I know you've gone and you've had courage and you've had faith to go and pronounce this judgment on the king. But Elijah, I need you to leave now and I need to do so much more through you right now or to you right now before I can do more through you. So God takes Elijah into this time of preparation. And there's three seasons of preparation that we're going to identify from this passage. The first one, look at verses two through three with me. Verses two and three. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Depart from here and turn eastward. Hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. See, God takes Elijah through the first season of preparation and isolated pain. Isolated pain, which is very alone. God takes Elijah and there's no one else at this care of the brook. There's no one else that, that Elijah can talk to. There's, there, he's hurting. He, he's all alone. He's, he's privately in the season of hiding. It says, God took Elijah to this Kareth brook. 
Now this word kareth in the original, original Hebrew, it means to be cut off or to be cut down. It means to be cut off from the source, cut off from the blessing. Cut off like you're chopping down a tree. And can you almost sense what God is saying here? It's as if God is saying, I'm going to take you through a season of breaking. I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to teach you to be completely dependent on me. I'm going to humble you privately here all alone at the Kareth Brook. I'm going to humble you privately before I can use you publicly. God is going to do something very, very deep so that later... God can do something very uh, impossible through you. See, God has taken Elijah away. He's taken him to this, to this place all by himself so that God can do something through to him before God will use to go and work through him. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the Kareth Brook? Are you in a season of pain? Have you ever been broken? To the point that you just feel completely cut down. Those things that you used to depend on, you can't depend on anymore. Have you been there? You had things that you trusted in and you can't put your trust in them anymore. They've, they're, they're not there for you to, to rely on anymore. Have you been there? Can I suggest that perhaps God has taken you to the Kareth Brook? You're asking the questions, God, where are you, God? Where are you right now? I'm, I'm hurting, God. I'm struggling. I'm in pain. God, this hurts. God, where are you? The reality, the reality is oftentimes God is right there doing a deep work inside of you. God is doing something in you. There's a preparatory work going on inside of you. God is preparing you so he can use you to do greater things. I remember... When God brought me to the Kareth Brook. When God brought me to the point that I had no one else to rely on. Some of you know that I grew up in the Mormon church. And as a young man in high school, uh, began having conversations with Christians. And I would argue with them about how I knew the truth. And how I had the truth and they didn't. And I remember finally I went to a funeral. And there was a pastor at this funeral who from the pulpit said, I want you to know I want you to know exactly where you stand with God. And he said, he showed from the scripture how you can have a relationship with him. And how you can have assurance of where you stand with God. And I never had that as a Mormon. And he said, if this is you today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I said, okay, I'm going to pray this prayer. And I prayed this prayer. And I went home and I had no clue what I just did. The only thing I knew about Christianity was TBN. And so I turned on TBN and there's Benny Hinn up there slapping people on their head. And they're, you know, flopping around. And I'm kind of like, wow, this is Christianity, you know. But I tell you, I started reading the Gospels and I started saying, man, there's something completely different here. And, 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 and by the time my senior year started of high school, I said, you know, I need to leave the Mormon church. And when I left the Mormon church, I tell you, it was pretty drastic. Uh, you guys know that my dad died when I was young and there were some men in the Mormon church that, that became father-like figures to me, that mentored me. That, that taught me what it was to be a man and, 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 and were such a big part of my life. And when I, when I left the Mormon church, every one of those relationships were gone. When I left the Mormon church, I had these three friends that I grew up with and we were all best friends growing up. And those three friends said, we don't want anything to do with you anymore. 
And it still goes on. Even a couple years ago, my wife and I were at the fair with our kids one day, and I ran into one of these families. They wouldn't even acknowledge me. They wouldn't even acknowledge that I was there. See, I was at a point where everything was taken away. I was all alone. I was cut down. But I tell you what, I think God was preparing me at that time. I think that there was a reason why God allowed me to go through that because I look and I say, I'm so much stronger now. I look and say, God was doing a preparatory work inside of me by taking everything away, by stripping everything I depended on. I couldn't depend on it anymore. I had no one to depend on but God alone. And I think that God does that. He takes us to this place called the Careth Brook. He takes everything away and we're hurting and we're in pain. And God is in the midst, preparing us for greater things, strengthening us. You've been there. Doors are shut. Friendships are gone. A difficult time and you're all alone. But God is working through that isolated pain. You're at the Careth Brook. Elijah was there for months, all alone. No one to talk to. No one to rely on. A.W. Tozer is a Christian author. He says it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. He says it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. Those of you here today, if you're at the care of the brook, be encouraged. Be encouraged because God is preparing you for greater things. God is preparing you for greater things. You aren't alone. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. Look at the second season that God leads Elijah into. He says, You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and he lived by the brook Kareth, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. You see, the second season... Uh, uh, the second season that God takes Elijah through to shape him and mold him into a man of God is what I call total dependence. God leads him to total and complete dependence. Elijah cannot depend on anything else but God alone. (laughs) The birds, they go out and they find meat and they deliver that straight to Elijah. Now, some of you are vegetarians and I just make the case, God brought Elijah meat. Okay, I'm just saying that. <laughs> I'd love to get one of those birds. Anybody want one of those birds? We're selling them for 14. Just kidding, just kidding. What is God doing here? What is God doing here? What, what are we supposed to see from this? See, God clearly and distinctly is saying, no matter what, I will be faithful. You can count on me to provide for you. This is total dependence. Some of you are in this season. Something that you used to trust in, something that used to give you security has been taken away. Nothing else that you can trust in life other than the good, the, the good giver of life himself. We're learning that, that when what we believe in fades away, when what we put our trust in fades away, God forever and always will be faithful to you and I. Forever and always God is telling Elijah, I will be your provider I will deliver what you need. You know what the cool thing is? Is God didn't give Elijah food for two days. 
He didn't give him a week's, a week's worth of food. He didn't give him a month's worth of food. What did God give him? He gave him enough for the day. Some of us are learning this now. You're in a season of hurting. You're afraid. But guess what? God delivers enough for the day. <laughs> You're uncomfortable. You're afraid. And guess what God says? God says, I will be your comfort for today. You don't have much. You're struggling to make ends meet. But God says, I will be your provision for today. You're, you feel weak. You feel broken. And God says, I will be your strength for today. <laughs> your friends, all the people you used to rely on, your friends are gone. They've left you. And God says, I will be your friend for today. See, God may not bring you more than you need, but God will give you exactly what you need. This is why we say in the Lord's Prayer, God, give me my daily bread. God will be our daily bread. He will give you exactly what we need for the day. He may not give you more, but God will be what you need today. What do you need from God today? Because God will be that for you. God will be there for you today. Elijah learns to depend on God for the day. God is teaching him. God is breaking him. God is cutting him down. God is humbling Elijah. And God is teaching him to have total dependence on God for everything that he needs. Verses 7, 8, and 9, the story continues to break down. And it says, And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. See, this is the third season of preparation that God takes Elijah through. What I call unconditional obedience. Unconditional obedience. We've had isolated pain. We've had total dependence. And then there's a season of unconditional obedience. See, we got to put ourselves in the prophet's place. Put yourself in Elijah's shoes. God has, has provided for him everything he needs. God's provided this Kareth brook. And, and, and the brook gives him water. There's a drought. Everybody in the land is struggling to find water. And God has provided this brook for him. And he's able to eat and drink every day. God has provided it for him. And he wakes up one day and the brook is dried up. There's no more. There's no more. And, and, and if you put yourself in his shoes, you start thinking, man, what's up, God? What the heck is going on? I mean, you begin to question, God, did I do something wrong? I mean, God, you provided for me through this brook. Have I done something wrong? Is that why the brook is dried up now? God, what are you doing here? I don't understand. The brook dried up. Why is the source that you provided water to me? Why is it dried up, God? See, Elijah learns the, the same God who gives water can also take it away. God may cause your, your, your brook to dry up because God wants to give you courage to go where you're supposed to go. See, Elijah, God had something in store for Elijah. God had greater things in store for him. But you know what? If that brook didn't dry up, I doubt he would have left. 
I doubt he would have had the courage to get up and just go because God said to go. God knew he needed to dry up the brook in order to give Elijah the courage to go to where God was leading him, to go to where God wanted him to go. Is your brook drying up? Did you used to be able to trust in your job and have security in your job, but now you just don't feel it anymore? You don't have that trust in your job anymore. Maybe you used to have a nest egg. You had a large 401k, and now it's more like a 201k. And you can't put your trust in that anymore. Maybe the brook is drying up. Maybe you used to have good friends that you could turn to and you could lean on and they would be there for you. But maybe your friendship brook is drying up. People say that God provides by what he, by, people say that God guides by what he provides. That's probably a true statement. God guides by what he provides. Preachers used to say, preachers say, where there is vision, God gives provision. And I would say, yes, we would agree with that. But I would argue, and I would say, and I would believe that God also guides by what he doesn't provide. That God also guides by what he doesn't provide. See, the same God who gives water, the same God who gives water can also take the water away. Because we realize we need to have the courage to follow him wherever he's going to lead us. As in a, there's a great example of, of this in the life of Restoration Church right here. You see, there was a period of time where my wife and I were realizing, hey, it's going to be time for us to take a step in life, uh, our next step in life. And uh, there was a church that we were very close to the pastor. We, we knew each other very well. We, we, meshed, we meshed very well together. And, and there was talks between us and the pastor. And the pastor said, we want to bring you guys on staff. And we want you guys to be a part of our church. We became very excited. We loved the ministry. We loved the church. We loved the pastor. And things worked really well. And, and, and pretty soon, you know what the position that, that they were looking at? The resources weren't there. The timing wasn't where, there. And the brook dried up. We thought, God, what are you doing? You know, God, this makes sense. This makes sense, God. Why wouldn't you do this? Why is the brook drying up? And I'll tell you why. Because two or three weeks later, I got a call from Westside Church that had the vision for restoration. And they said, hey, you know what? What about planting Restoration Church? And I'll tell you what, if God did not, if God did not dry up that well, that brook, if God didn't, didn't dry up that brook, Restoration Church wouldn't be here. You see, I believe fully that, that just as much as God guides by what he provides, that God guides sometimes by what he doesn't provide. Is that you in your life today? Has God taken something away from you to give you courage and faith to take the next step? To, to be obedient, to go where God is taking you now, someplace different, someplace new? You ever seen the movie Karate Kid? It's a great movie. And now, it doesn't matter if you're looking at the old one or the new one. I actually kind of prefer the old one myself. And Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi, Daniel comes up to him and says, Hey, Mr. Miyagi, would you teach me to fight? I keep getting picked on by the bullies. Would you teach me to fight? And uh, Mr. Miyagi says, Yes, but first go watch, uh, no, first go paint my fence. Daniel's like, What? And he says, yes, go paint my fence. And so Daniel grabs the paintbrush and starts painting. And Mr. Miyagi says, no, 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 no. It's like this and like this and like this and like this. Daniel's like, all right, whatever, dude, your, your fence is done. 
And then Mr. Miyagi says, now I want you to go wash my car. And so Daniel starts washing the car. And, and, and Mr. Miyagi says, no, 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 no. You've got to wax on and wax off. Daniel's son, wax on, wax off, right? And then, and then he goes to the floor and he says, hey, Daniel's son, I want you to sand my floor. Daniel's like, what? He's like, all right. So I start sanding it. And, and, and Mr. Miyagi goes, no, in circles like this and like this and like this. And like this, Daniel's son, like this in circles. And finally, Daniel's like, this is dumb. You just want me to do all your chores because you're lazy. You just want a teenage boy to do your chores. Mr. Miyagi says, now it's time to fight. And Mr. Miyagi throws a punch. All of a sudden, Daniel goes, whoosh, paint the fence. Whoosh, wash the car. Whoosh, sand the floor. And all of a sudden, it begins to click. All of a sudden, Daniel's like, wow, there was a preparatory work going on. Mr. Miyagi, you weren't just making me do your chores. You were teaching me. You were preparing me for this. And it begins to click. Isn't that a great movie? Isn't it great? <laughs> and, and, and so, Daniel, there's this weird moment where he's like, are you telling me? I mean, is this really what you're trying? Oh, wait, I get it now. I get it. And God, he brought Elijah to the care of the brook. He brought him into the season of isolated pain. And, and Elijah's going, huh? What the heck? What's going on? I don't, I don't get this. And then God begins to feed Elijah by the ravens. And Daniel's like, huh? What? And then the brook dries up. And Daniel's like, what the heck is going on here? Huh. And then all of a sudden, God takes him to a new place. God takes Elijah to this new place for this new thing. And this is a fantastic story. The rest of this chapter, chapter 17, is a great story. We aren't going to read it all. I'm going to give you the highlights of it. I recommend you go home this afternoon and read it. First Elijah 17. I'll hit the highlights. So God takes Elijah to this new place. It's about 100 miles away over a, a dry and desert area. And God's and Elijah sees the widow that God says would provide for him. And Elijah goes up to the woman and says, Ma'am, ma'am, I'm really thirsty. Would you give me something to drink? And she looks at him and is like, Are you an idiot? Don't you know there's a, there, there, there's a drought going on? I mean, I can't give you anything to drink. What are you doing? And she says, You know, we're dying. She says, I'm a widow, so I don't have much resource in the first place. And I have a son at home. He's back at the hut. And, and, and I'm here right now to get some sticks because I'm going to go and prepare our last meal. And then we're going to die because we have nothing left. <laughs> and because of what God was doing through Elijah's life, Elijah says, no, you're not. Elijah speaks faith into an impossible situation. He says, your flour will not run out and your jar of oil will not run out either. Now go back and make some biscuits. So she goes home, she makes the biscuits, and guess what? The flour doesn't run out. And the jar of oil doesn't run out. And they eat the biscuits, and they eat for, for weeks and months. And, and, and that jar of flour never runs out, and the jar of oil never runs out, just like Elijah said would happen. God supernaturally provided in response to Elijah's total dependence. 
Then one day, tragedy struck, and the widow's son mysteriously died. And of course, Mama freaked out. I mean, this is going to happen. Mom freaks out. She says, what are you doing? Did you come here to kill my son? Is that why you came, Elijah? Did you come here so that my son would die? Are you here to pronounce judgment? And Elijah, because of what God had done, because of the preparatory work that God had done on Elijah, because God was shaping him, we're going to see something happen that we have not seen happen in all of Scripture before. This is the first time that we're, there's no record of this happening before this time in the Bible. Elijah takes the dead boy, he carries him up to an upper room, and he lays his body on top of him, and he looks up to heaven and says, God, God, I think you could heal this guy. God, I'm asking you to heal this guy. And God does it. God raises this little boy from the dead. And why did this happen? Because of the Kareth Brook. Because God prepared Elijah through that time of preparation had the care of the Brook. He was cut down. He had a seasons of he has a season of total dependence where he can't depend on anything except God alone. And then the brook dried up, so he had to leave to where God ultimately wanted him to go so he could be used to save this boy. God used this horrible situation to shape Elijah into a true man of God. God used this preparatory time to shape Elijah into a man and a woman of God. And we can expect the same thing. If you and I are going to be a man or a woman of God, we can expect God to spend a preparatory time in our lives. We can expect at some point to go through these different, different uh, periods, different seasons of isolated pain, of total dependence, of unconditional, unconditional following of what God has for us. Because that is what happens in the making of how God makes a man or a woman of God. Next week, we're going to look that God gives Elijah the faith and the courage for this one man again to stand in front of 450 false prophets and asks God to call down fire to prove God's goodness. And why did Elijah have such faith? Because of the Kareth Brook. Because of God taking him and preparing him to be a man or a woman of God. Some of you, you're in a season of deep pain. You're saying, God, where are you at? And God is saying, I'm doing something in you because one day I'm going to do more through you. I'm taking you through a season of preparing you so I could do more through you. Verse 1 described Elijah as Elijah the Tithbite. That's what, how he was known. That's how he was identified. He was known from where he was from. But when you look at the end of the verse, the end of the story, verse 24, no longer is he known as Elijah the Tishbite, where he is from, but now he's known in verse 24, it says, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a true man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. No longer is Elijah the Tishbite, now he's Elijah the man of God. He's no longer known as Elijah the Tishbite, now he's known as Elijah the man of God. God may lead you and I to the Kareth Ravine so that one day God would look at you and, and, and we'd be able to say, now I see it. Now I see it. 
No longer are you Elijah the Tishbite, but now you're Elijah the man of God. And see, I pray, and all the things that, that, that God has brought me through in my life, and I think about Restoration Church, and I think I didn't grow up wanting to be a church, uh, church planner. I didn't grow up wanting to be a church planner. I did it. That's the honest truth. <laughs> when, when I first was asked about Restoration Church, my wife will tell you, I said, no, that's not me. That's somebody else's job. I love it. I want to support it, but that's somebody else's job. But you see, when you begin to look at the big picture, and you can say, you know what? God is preparing us for things like this. God wants to prepare us. And I'm so thankful that God took me through that season of isolated pain years ago. I'm so thankful that God caused my brook to dry up. Because now I can see and see what God has been preparing me for. And I can see God do things that I couldn't imagine through Restoration Church. There's things going on right here that I can't describe other than God himself and his hand on Restoration Church. And it's because God prepared it. God was preparing it all along. God was preparing me all along. God was preparing you all along for Restoration Church. For God to use Restoration Church. And I praise God for, his, for, for, for the hurt and the brokenness, the experiences that God shaped me for God's supernatural provision. Because I pray that I'm not known as Kevin from Yakima. I pray I'm not known as Kevin from Eisenhower High School. But I pray that I would be known as Kevin, a man of God. I pray that we would all be known as Restoration Church, a people of God. Not the people from downtown not the people from the seasons, but that we would be known as Restoration Church, the people, the men and women of God. And God will do that through our time of preparation. As the worship team comes up, our prayer this morning is, God, would you do a supernatural work in us? God, would you do a supernatural work in us? You see, some of you here today, you need to take a stand. You need to take a stand for who God is and for his will in our lives. And my prayer is that God will give you that supernatural strength like Elijah. Stand up before the evil king and say, this is what God says. My prayer is that you would have the strength to stand up and be that one like Elijah Some of you here today, you're at the Kareth Brook. As we describe the isolated pain, the total dependence, that is you. You, you, you are broken. The things you used to trust in are gone. You're hurting. Can I praise God with you? Because God is preparing you for something greater. Can I pray for you today? Can I pray? If that is you, can I pray for you today? That you would see God's goodness in this. That you would see God's hand in this. And you would know that God is preparing you. So you can be known as a man or a woman of God. Because just as God prepared Elijah for greater things yet to come. And we're going to see some greater things still to come from Elijah's life. My prayer is that God would prepare every one of us for God to do greater things through us. And the Yakima Valley and across the world that God would use you and I as men and women of God to do great things for his kingdom. That means sometimes we'll go through the Kareth Brook. We'll go through the pain and the trials. 
so we can become stronger. And God can prepare us for exactly where he needs us. Some of you here today, you're in a very low place. You know, the thing is, we get so low that we have nowhere to look but up. Nowhere to turn but to God's Son, Jesus. You're, you're experiencing pain. You're broken. You're broken because of your sin. Because we are separated by our sin. And I'll tell you what, God wants you to overcome Him. God wants you to come to Him in brokenness and repentance and call upon God's Son, Jesus, by name. Jesus lived without sin. Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. Jesus died on the cross and he rose three days later. He is the only name by which any of us can be saved. The Bible says that if you call out to him, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. That you can be forgiven. You can be changed. Some of you today, you need to call out and surrender to God. You need to say, God, would you forgive me right now? You need to say, God, I trust you. I surrender my life to you. God, I want to be adopted into your family. Some of us are at that point. Today's the day that you need to surrender to Christ. Surrender to what he has for your life. You need to say, God, it's not my life anymore, but I give my life to you and I will follow you with my life. Let's pray.